This is Justin Herbert with the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Nate List. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And with me, as always, is Mr. Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. Matt, I got to bring something up that we haven't brought up during the pre-show. We didn't do it for the Facebook group. But Ryan Lopes stepped in on my behalf and did a great job last week uh, with me not there. Uh, but I can't help but feel like you are stirring the shit a bit. Uh, you told Ryan that I'm moving and that I'm building a new home and that the proceeds that are paying for said home are coming right off the top of BreakoutFinder.com's profits. Right? And I just want to point out that that feels like uh, there's some inaccuracy there. That's a blatant lie. It was done just so I could then wheel around surrounding you, peppering, boom, 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 rat-a-tat, rat-a-tat, rat-a-tat. Then I wheel around and flank him, and then it was all to build up to say, well, how much have you made on Breakout Finder? (laughs) Why? Why did you do it? Because it's funny! It's funny! It's funny! It's all to say this is not a moneymaker. We do these apps for the people. It's five bucks. How many people do you think play fantasy football to such an extent that there's such sicko diehards? You think there's thousands, tens of thousands of those people that are going to fund a house? That's an absurd thing to say. It's so absurd. And if anyone believed it, they're an idiot who can't do math and has no idea what this marketplace actually looks like. No, there's not that many people out there buying the Breakout Finder app. It's a passion project from Nate Liss. He's helping all of you improve your Dynasty League teams with a killer content app, maybe the best content app out there for Dynasty Leagues, and especially for startups and rookie drafts in particular. He's doing a great job, and he's doing it for the people. It would take a lot of purchasers, but I will say it is still funny to me when I see people hit Ryan up on Twitter. But it's fun. It's a funny narrative. Feel free to, to reach out to Ryan and ask him how much money he's made on the Breakout Finder app because I think it's funny. It's funny. It's funny. It is. It's hysterical. I'm doing Ryan a solid. Ryan and I are tentatively planning to host a podcast together this fall with the help of Monkey Knife Fight. That is tentatively planned. I, I can't guarantee anything. We don't know what's going to happen, but we're planning on doing a podcast, Ryan and I, and he is going to dip his toe into the monkey knife fight revenue stream. So we're going to, we're, I'm making it up to him. But guess what? We're not going to make it up to him with breakout finder money. I'll tell you that right now because it's not a lot of it. <laughs> it's, it's really not. You're welcome, everybody. Yeah, I get that. I get that a lot. I get DMs from people, literally, people that have asked me. How much money? That's the first question. How much money have you made on Breakout Finder? Like, they legitimately have the stones to message me and ask me that. You know, it's like your, it's like your kid brother that maybe hasn't got his shit together in life. And, you know, he comes to your house or whatever. And he's like, 
how much you guys pulling down annually? Yeah. You know, like he's just straight up asking these questions. It's just crazy to well, me. Well, I right? ask you those questions all the time. I asked you precisely how much your house costs. <laughs> I ask you all this stuff, but you know I'm doing it in a way that's not really... I'm doing it to find the joke. Right. Once you have developed a level of rapport with someone like Nate and I have, he knows that I'm going for a joke. Then we, we can all be on board together, and we're in all in on the joke together, and that's important. And that's what's great about Ryan, is Ryan is also in on the joke. Right. This is interesting. Ryan knows that... One of the most valuable things that he can bring to the table as a collaborator with us is to be in on the joke. That is so important to not take yourself too seriously and be open to being in on the joke as early as possible when you get together with a bunch of guys that are are doing something that's not particularly serious. Absolutely. And Ryan's great. I mean, I podcast with him. You know, now we're doing it once a month, which I'm not happy about. Well, oh, yeah, of course. You're not happy that we're doing this three times a month. I wish you would work a little harder on the podcast, but here we go. Well, we'll we'll talk about that off air, sir. <laughs> As if. I've never met Matt once in my life, which is interesting. After all the years we've done this, Ryan and Matt have met once, I believe. So it's certainly an interesting dynamic. But uh, I, I think, you know, based on the tweets we see, a lot of people would never believe that, you know, that there is not one like physical real life interaction. But, you know, here we are doing a show for year Four, five. I don't even know how many years we've been doing this now. It's an intimate relationship over the internet. Sometimes you cross the line that the dick pic was a bit much. Uh, I've never felt closer to you, but, you know, that's... Take risks. <laughs> sometimes sometimes you got to throw it out there and just hope that, it, the you know, the feeling is reciprocated. I never got one back. I just saw the three dots. Hey, hey! you decided to become vulnerable at the beginning of the show, put this out there and see what would happen, and, and you had no idea that dick pic would tumble from my lips. Nope. But this is what happens, man. We start the show, we turn the mics on, we don't know what's going to happen. But we do have a show sheet, I will say that. Mm-hmm. We do have a show sheet. Mm-hmm. And we have had demands on uh, Patreon, uh, patreon.com forward slash podfather, also your Patreon, patreon.com forward slash I'm outraged. More lifestyle hacks, more lifestyle hacks, more lifestyle hacks. And I talked about building a fence earlier. And, well, actually, I shouldn't say that. I got I to gotta take that out of the show. I, I think that was in the outtakes. I, I just broke my own rule. You did. Is in the live show, I called back to a topic from the outtakes. That was a, that was a rookie mistake. What a flop. That was a rookie mistake. So I'm building a fence, and I have to cut some trees down and it's it's a process it's just, sometimes it's not as easy as you think to just put a fence up i have a mason i have a tree guy i have a fence guy just for this project and i go out of my way i went to such an extent last week that i went and i waited in line at the drive through to the bank which was a half an hour wait because the bank is closed the branch is closed drive through only one car at a time I waited 30 minutes to go and take cash out so I could pay cash to the tree guys. You will reap rewards well into the future if you pay contractors cash. I always, 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 without fail, bend my will to pay cash to contractors. They will go out of their way to help you. They will provide you with references, firewood. The tree guys are helping me in a a bunch of different ways. 
I think a big part of it was the paying cash to give them the flexibility and the instant cash flow. That's a rule. My dad taught me that and I've always done it and it's worked out really well. It's sort of the opposite of the Donald Trump approach. Donald Trump is known for stiffing his contractors and then making them take him to court. That's his MO. I go the other direction. I pay them cash. And I believe that in the long run, that it optimizes your whole experience because you end up getting these referrals. You end up getting these extra add-on services that you didn't even ask for, but they're just appreciative and it works out for everybody in the end. Yeah, you're right. I mean, if they're not declaring it on their taxes. Whoa, 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 whoa. Can we just not talk about that aspect of it? Come on, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Let's. Why do you do that? Because some people that are listening. Why do you have to take it to that? I just said, listen, instant cash flow, Nate. You don't have to draw a map for people of how they can avoid paying taxes. This is not what this is about. What are you doing? Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not this is not the people paying taxes. What I'm saying is the reason I have people at the IRS that listen to the show. Tens of thousands of people listen to this podcast. One of those people is going to be an IRS agent. What the fuck are you doing, man? Here, here's how this works. First off, if there's an IRS agent that is a fan of this show that sees their opportunity to take down Matt Kelly, then me, I didn't do anything. I just paid cash. You're the one that's talking about. You just said the advantages of paying cash. The advantages of paying cash. I, well, I didn't. Listen, you can infer whatever you want to infer. I was talking about the benefits that you reap in the long run paying cash to contractors. It's just a good idea. They appreciate it. They say, oh, you don't need to go above and beyond and do it anyway. And why do they appreciate when you pay them cash? I just explained it. I know, but what is the benefit for them? Why are you avo- why are you avoiding this? Look, James Connor. Oh, we're rolling to James Connor. <laughs> Matt Kelly's protecting the contractors all of a sudden. All right, fair enough. Let's go. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Everybody in the world knows. Yes, I figured this out. Now I know why you're doing this. You're trying to derail one of the best mansion lifestyle hacks in the history of this show. Because you're still mad about how often Ryan and I disparaged you on the last show. And I know you're not mad at me because you know that's my MO, right? I will accuse you of stealing my Janu Smith take, for example. Or I will accuse you of front-running the ADP of a player, resulting in him being overvalued, and then members of your audience holding the bag. Yes. Where the assets on their teams ultimately lose value. So that's on you. I accused you of that behavior. I accused you of charlatan level dynasty analysis. <laughs> okay. And take theft. And I know you're not mad at me. You're mad at Ryan. You're actually lashing out at me, though you're mad at Ryan for not defending you more vigorously. I, I will say... Admit it. Admit you're mad at Ryan. I I will say this. You started to say some things that I would have disagreed with in real time and have disagreed with before, and Ryan had a chance to defend me, and when he reached to pull the sword from the sheath... The cold. Sometimes it sticks. (laughs) I don't remember. The frost. Sometimes it makes the blade stick. 
right? The cold. Sometimes it sticks. He goes to pull the sword out of the sheath, and he couldn't pull it out. Well, Ryan pulled it out, but it was just a much smaller sword for the battle than I expected. I thought, wow, I thought this would be a bigger (laughs) defend my honor. Oh, no. Oh, no. No. It was a short sword. Yeah, it was a dagger and a sword holder. It was a dagger and a sword holder. Oh, my God. Is that like the guy that buys Magnum condoms and then can't execute? Yes. Right, yeah, they keep slipping off. Can't figure out why. You see, I just said can't execute, but you had to take it to the next level. (laughs) I just figured the... Where it's slipping off. (laughs) Okay, yes, Nate, we understand. That's what would happen. Thank you, Nate. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Nate, the contractors have the option of not reporting all of this revenue on their taxes. Yes, Nate, yes, that's implied. Yes, the condom could slip off. Yes. Yes. There you go. There's the hack. There's the hack. Yeah, you get a box of Magnum condoms, and then you fill it full of regular condoms. Was that something you did in college? I should have. Now that I'm thinking of it, see, I have all this clarity in my in my older years. <laughs> yes. Fail. If we had sons, we could impart them with this knowledge. Yeah, that's true. Now I have to defend her forever. Did your dad give you the condom talk? No, he didn't. Nope. Did, never had the condom talk with my dad one time. I did. <laughs> did you? I remember so clearly that discussion with my dad is burned into my cerebellum or wherever the fuck it's stored with such clarity. I remember the temperature of the room. It was middle of summer and the air conditioner was blasting. Every aspect of that encounter I remember so clearly where I was going to visit a girl that I met overnight and I was staying at her house. My parents were cool with it. Her parents were cool with it. And I was about to leave, and he called me into his office, and I I sat down, and and he just walked me through the trip, and I said, yeah, this is what I'm doing. And then he just very quickly, it was just a throwaway sentence, but he said, if you're going to have sex, make sure you wear rubber. (laughs) And then that was it. Uh, And he looked back down at his papers and started working on something, started shuffling his papers, and then that was it. And he didn't even say goodbye. I just eventually realized that he was done talking to me and I stood up and left and I was like, that fucking just happened. Wow. I can't believe that just happened. We had the thing. We had the talk. That's not much of a talk, though. It was a sentence and then no eye contact. Yeah. That is such an old school dad talk. It was so striking to me. I mean, I'm so glad it happened exactly that way, like a time capsule for our culture. Right. Right. It was like a cultural time capsule that I actually experienced in real life. I'm so glad it happened exactly that way. It was perfect. It was so perfect. I'm glad you had the talk. I I never had the talk, so. And the beauty is no unwanted pregnancies. None. We're good. Thanks, Dad. Thanks. You did it, buddy. Great job. Well done. Well done. What the fuck are we supposed to talk about? Oh, I was trying to pivot unsuccessfully. Usually I'm very good at segues. It was maybe the worst attempted segue because it failed. It didn't work. But we do need to talk football at some point. I know it's early July and there's no camp and there's nothing happening. Mm -mm. But what I'm seeing 
is the slow creeping, the creeping, the creeping, the creeping, the creeping of this James Conner up dynasty draft boards, up seasonal league draft boards. It's so slow and incremental, but you see this happening where a team will draft a running back. Like last year, the Patriots drafting Damian Harris. Mm-hmm. It was over for Sony Michelle, right? <laughs> Goodbye. And then slowly as the months rolled on throughout the summer, fantasy gamers realized, oh no, Sony Michelle is probably going to be fine, right? It's not over for Sony Michelle. He was a first round pick and he has been productive and Damian Harris is still the backup. So let's uh, overreaction after the draft and then the correction of the Sony Michelle ADP. And you saw the Sony Michelle ADP just creep back up where it belonged, really, even though it didn't belong there because in the end, we just look at the results. He underperformed his ADP in both seasonal leagues and dynasty last season. But I think it's very similar where Anthony McFarland got drafted. It sort of shook that backfield in Pittsburgh, depressed James Conner's ADP in all formats. And now fantasy gamers are coming to the realization that, wait a second, let's not get out over our skis quite yet with Anthony McFarland. This is still James Conner's role. And that role could be incredibly robust. He could be the goal line back and the between the twenties back and the passing down back. He could be one of the most heavily used bell cow backs in the league. Like he was two years ago. And that's the justification for rostering James Conner. How do you feel about James Conner in dynasty? Um, I think you and I have talked about this a lot and you've mentioned that you guys have done extensive injury uh, prediction work on James Conner. So there's currently something like that that you have to be worried about. But in 2020, in 2020, I like James Conner. I like him this year, even with McFarlane there. I uh, realize that there's a chance that McFarlane gets opportunity, but I like him in 2020. That being said, this is a dynasty show and you need to look at the long term. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second. Well, I, I didn't think you looked past 2020. You actually looked past 2020 in dynasty? Oh, yeah, it's a, great, it's a great point. Sometimes what? that's forgotten. I thought that you only cared about this year. I remember Calvin Ridley. Everything's lining up for him this year. It's all about this year. First off, James Conner is going to be fine in 2020, assuming there's no injuries. What, what would be the reason that we wouldn't see James Conner get a full level of workload in 2020? I think there's a touch squeeze happening in Pittsburgh, and it's not just Anthony McFarland. I think it's Benny Snell, and I think it's Jalen Samuels. I think they're all threats to James Conner because James Conner was a late third-round pick. He was drafted at a similar slot to Anthony McFarland. Anthony McFarland drafted in the early fourth round. James Conner, late third round. It's a similar draft slot. And James Conner is not athletic. I know that he participated in these athletic testing drills at the Combine just after recovering from cancer. So I get it, right? He's probably faster and more explosive and with more fast twitch than he showed at the Combine a few years back because he had just beaten cancer i get it okay but he's not that fast and he's not that explosive and he's certainly not agile and that's one of the big reasons why he's injured so often the injury history last year is terrifying knee sprain ankle sprain quadriceps strain ac joint sprain and quadriceps contusion so he couldn't avoid lower body injuries at any point last season and this is many years removed from the cancer diagnosis and the ultimately being cured 
That's why he has the number one injury probability on player profile. You scroll down to the medical history report, 65% chance that he misses a game with injury this year, and he has a top 10 fragility rating. Fragility rating looks at all backs regardless of their projected workload. So the injury probability necessarily projects his workload. The fragility rating just looks at all running backs in a vacuum set on any given touch. How likely are they to be injured on any given touch versus miss a game with an injury throughout the season? Either way, he's rated very highly and he's very likely to get hurt. And I think the big reason is his inability to avoid huge hits. And I also believe that James Conner was a moment in time running back. I think that certain running backs find themselves in these Shangri-La situations for fantasy point scoring and that those moments in time can't be replicated. You can't go back 2018 and relaunch the Pittsburgh Steelers with Antonio Brown and a healthier Ben Roethlisberger, a healthier, younger, more fluid, uh, better arm strength Ben Roethlisberger. You can't do that. Where in 2018, James Conner was just a cog in a machine. And the defense had to account for Juju Smith-Schuster and Antonio Brown, and in particular the passing game, which was prolific. And of course, when you're throwing the ball that often, as they did in Pittsburgh, the defense was just average, and they found themselves in a number of shootouts. So Ben Roethlisberger was throwing the ball a lot. And if he's going to throw the ball that much, of course, some of those passes are going to be screens and dump-offs to James Conner. But I don't think of James Conner as an exceptional receiver. I just think that Ben Roethlisberger threw the ball 675 times that season. 675 times. Of course, a number of those passes are going to go to the running back. That's part of the reason why James Conner caught how many? 55 passes. Right, 55 passes is number 11 in the NFL that year. So it was impressive that he caught that number of passes. But I don't see him getting anything close to 70 targets ever again. I don't think he'll ever get 50 targets because the offense is not going to be nearly as prolific. And he himself, now past the AJ Pex, has proven himself to not really be a big play running back outside the context of that one moment in time where you had one of the most prolific offenses in the NFL history. We're way past that. Ben Roethlisberger is broken. The offensive line significantly degraded. The weaponry has been diminished. And you look at last year, the run-blocking efficiency that James Conner experienced last year, 58.8 run-blocking efficiency on player profiler was outside the top 50. So now he has to do it on his own much more than he did in 2018. And... I don't think he's good enough to do that. We talk about talent all the time. I've heard analysts say, yeah, I like Tyler Higby's talent, but I don't like the situation now that he is going to be sharing a field with Gerald Everett in 2020. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I disagree with your premise to start. Tyler Higby's not that talented. Why are you saying he's talented? Because he had a nice month in fantasy football? That makes him talented? No, he's not that talented. James Conner had a nice year in fantasy football in 2018. That doesn't necessarily make him that talented. Jordan Howard, right, had a top five year in rushing yards. Even Carlos Hyde, he actually had a top five year in targets one season. Did that necessarily make him talented in the passing game? No, it just happened to be a moment in time. 
happened to be on a team with a coach that emphasized passing to the running back position with incredibly weak receivers competing for targets. And that's how, by default, targets end up getting funneled to a player like Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde's not talented. He never has been. Jordan Howard's never been talented. He never has been. They've just found themselves in moments in time where, like, Jordan Howard can go way over 1,000 rushing yards just based on the situation he happens to be in. The offensive line is blocking in front of him and the proclivity of that coach to call run plays. That's it, right? Saquon Barkley is going to be productive even in the worst possible situation with a bottom five offensive line and Eli Manning at quarterback. Saquon Barkley is still going to produce because he is talented. He is an exceptional football player, which is so far from what James Conner is. And I like James Conner the person. I love a cancer survivor. He has shown great toughness and grit. I mean, you watch his videos of him in a log cabin throwing cords of wood over his shoulder. That's cool. That's impressive. But Rocky Balboa was not a real person. He was a movie character. I'm inspired by Rocky, but that doesn't mean I would bet on Rocky to actually win a boxing match because Rocky's not real. Hmm. Okay. So first off, I don't want to come across as a James Conner supporter. So put the paintbrush down. Secondly, I want to point out the fact that we're talking about 2020 right now and the future beyond that. The future beyond that is undetermined. And I'll tell you for a lot of reasons why. Number one, he's unlikely to produce beyond this year. So in fantasy football, that's my position. And it sounds like you agree with that. Yeah, I do agree with that. I'm saying that James Conner is a one-year value, if any value whatsoever. And something that a lot of people don't know is the fact that Big Ben, who has an air quote potential out in 2021. Matt, do you know what his cap hit is in 2021? Tell me. Big, Big Ben's cap hit is $41 million. $41 million is their cap And hit. he'll be well into his age 39 season when the 2021 season begins. He's already washed. It's over. I love this idea that Ben Roethlisberger is going to be back. So the, the, the James Conner case for this season especially is, okay, Ben Roethlisberger's back. No, he's not, and he never will be. It's over. Like, it's not over, over. He's going to throw a football forward and complete some passes, but not anything like we've seen before because he's a broken 38-year-old quarterback whose offensive line has been in decline for multiple seasons, Mm -hmm. and he no longer has Antonio Brown at wide receiver. So he's not going to be anything close to what he was before. The offensive line is only getting worse. It's not getting better. And yet I'm reading that James Conner has not just RB1 upside, Nate. I'm reading that James Conner has high-end RB1 upside because he's going to have this super bell cow role. Not just a bell cow getting an 80% opportunity share. Oh, no, he could get a 90% opportunity share. All the goal line looks, all the receptions out of the backfield. right? And it's like, no, no. None of that is going to happen. And even if it does, the efficiency is not going to be anything like it was in 2018. That would be now that would be the argument where I think you and I align a little more is that I think that James Conner can get a bigger workload than maybe you are illustrating right now. And I think that you you agree that you cannot definitively say that he will not. I can't. I can't say I think that it's possible 
it's absolutely possible he could command an 80% opportunity share. I don't think he will because the Steelers drafted Anthony McFarland for a reason because they think that he's good and the Steelers have a close relationship with the Maryland coaching staff. And I think they drafted him to be not only a change of pace back, but also to, to be a, a real breather back for James Conner, where he's the primary back for more series than the James Conner dynasty owners are, are comfortable with. I think they're going to see James Conner on the bench and Anthony McFarland in the backfield for more drives per game than they would like. Get ready for that. And Benny Snell's not going to be just unused. No, I think Benny Snell is just as good between the tackles as James Conner. I think that Jalen Samuels is better in the passing game than James Conner. And I think that Anthony McFarland is a better slasher and offers more big play potential than James Conner. So given the fact that James Conner is not the best at doing anything in that Pittsburgh backfield, the case that for him getting an 80% opportunity share is vapor to me. It's just vapor in the air. It, the reality of the situation is that you could purchase James Conner at his current going rate, which is the, what, RB 15, 16, and some of the startups right now, and you could be upside down in that selection within the first four weeks of the NFL season. Because I agree that there's an absolute chance, even looking back to last year, that there could be a certain touch squeeze. I also agree that I don't believe that James Conner is a hyper-talented running back. I also agree that he may not be the best at anyone's skill set versus the other players in his backfield. What I will say, though, is, and this is what it really comes down to, and some people are talking about it and other people don't realize that they're buying into it, is that we are chasing the history of the Pittsburgh running back. We're chasing the history of the Le'Veon Bell fantasy finishes. We're chasing the history of the the D'Angelo Williams age 32 RB6 finish. Which... And, the, and the overall Pittsburgh offense. Sure. Which is, at this point, ancient history. The 2018 season is so far from the reality of the Pittsburgh offense now that they're unrecognizable. It's just been two years unrecognizable. Right. And that O-line got really, really old. I mean, we watched it three years ago in 17. We watched it as one of the top 10 O-lines in the league. Then it was a middling, you know, middle of the league O-line in 18. And then it's a bottom three O-line in 19. Big Ben is older. You've got, uh, you know, you've got a bunch of talented receivers on the outside. He's just broken. He's broken. Look at the injury history on Ben Roethlisberger. My favorite two injury histories to peruse are the... Roethlisberger and Connor side by side and just scroll through both of these guys and it's like whoa Pittsburgh fans you have a problem right these two guys are fragile and they're your entire backfield it's not good right it's not a good thing and it and we we could easily be looking at more Mason Rudolph than anyone wants to see in 2020 because, you know, people want to go back and look at, hey, 2014 to 2018, the starting running backs, the RB1, if you will, in Pittsburgh averaged almost 24 and a half uh, opportunities a game. So attempts, you know, rush attempts plus targets. And they averaged about 22 and a half fantasy points per game. So people are chasing this history. And again, the O-line was better in 17 uh, or 18, excuse me, when James Conner finishes the RB6. Big Ben was stable. You had these outside receivers playing out of their mind. Everything was going perfectly. Now, again, 
I believe that there's a chance that James Conner has a reasonable year this year. There's a chance that he leads this backfield in in targets and carries. Totally possible. Totally possible. But at his price tag and in Dynasty, I'm not touching him. I don't own him anywhere. I've never owned him anywhere just because of the situation. Hard fade. And we're just essentially seeing what happened with Le'Veon Bell now happening with James Conner. You know, Bell held out. Conner's not. Conner's getting to the end. They're likely not going to re-sign him. They can't afford to re-sign him. Pittsburgh's got one of the worst salary cap issues in the entire league, thanks to Big Ben, who's meat falling off the bone. And now they draft Anthony McFarland. Now, okay, what's really crazy to me is what the Pittsburgh Steelers did going into this draft. They know their O-line is dust. It's old. They know their quarterback situation is not good. They know that they're likely not going to re-sign James Conner. What do they do? They draft Chase Claypool with their first pick that they have available in the draft. Awful. Because they sent their first to Miami for Minka Fitzpatrick. Oh, that was such a bad pick. Right? So they could have traded that second round pick and turned it into, you know, a third and a fifth or a what like got more value out of it, done something to gain more draft picks to solve this problem. So they draft a receiver. They didn't need a receiver. They didn't need a receiver. You could argue this team did not need a receiver at all. Then they draft an outside linebacker after him. Then they take McFarland to the fourth. They at no point until after McFarland do they address the offensive line. And it's problematic. That's one of the biggest issues. Your quarterback doesn't stay healthy. You can't run block. You can't pass block. You have no money to spend. And you're not turning your draft picks into more draft picks. Pittsburgh looks awful going into this year. I think that Pittsburgh is a hard fade this year. The team and the players other than the receivers. Because they're going to be playing from behind a lot, that actually helps Juju Smith-Schuster. That helps Deontay Johnson. That helps James Washington. Other than those three receivers, I mean, fuck out of here. Fuck out of here. And fuck out of here with this high-end RB1 upside. I mean, we're just here to make sure that if you read that anywhere, that it's not filtering down into your dynasty decision-making. Yeah. Tread tread lightly. You see James Conner being selected before Leonard Fournette in dynasty because James Conner is younger. James Conner's 25.2, Leonard Fournette, 25.5. And you see these arguments for James Conner over Leonard Fournette in seasonal leagues. So if James Conner's younger and he's going earlier in seasonal leagues, why wouldn't you just draft James Conner in Dynasty over Leonard Fournette? And that would be such a mistake. Big time. Such a mistake because Leonard Fournette's actually good. Leonard Fournette has explosive upside. Leonard Fournette is a quality receiver. He was a former wide receiver at the college level. He's not just a dump-off back. James Conner is a far inferior talent. We're talking about, oh, I like the guy's talent. Love the Tyler Higby talent. Love the James Conner talent. No, I don't respect their talent. I respect Leonard Fournette's talent. But the fickle fantasy gamer has soured on Leonard Fournette. The cardinal sin against the fantasy gamer that you just cannot commit as a running back is to get stuffed at the goal line. Like, if you get stuffed at the goal line, fantasy gamers will never fucking forgive you. They're watching these games they're ready to celebrate and then you betrayed them because you couldn't get over the goal line for whatever reason maybe because you're facing a stack box which Leonard Fournette faced a lot of last year because the passing game wasn't keeping defenses honest so okay you're going to go ahead and, and equate James Conner to Leonard Fournette no no it's beyond that you think oh yeah okay they're a similar guy no no get this the thinking is that 
James Conner will command more targets than Fournette. The James Conner has a, a higher upside because he's on the Steelers, as if they're the 2018 Steelers. Right. And as if that Fournette's not on this team that is poised to improve. Gardner Minshew, who would be surprised if he is better this year than Ben Roethlisberger? Would you be surprised if Minshew is a better quarterback than Roethlisberger this year? No, absolutely not. Would you be surprised if Jacksonville's offensive line was better than Pittsburgh's? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Okay, so this theoretical receiving production goal line work is fueling James Conner's upside. But Fournette's role is uncertain, and they added Chris Thompson. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Like, his usage is going to be that much higher than Jalen Samuels or Benny Snell or Anthony McFarland. Oh, and by the way, Jacksonville's rebuilding. But uh, Pittsburgh's in win-now mode, so for a lot of reasons, Fournette's not going to get the work that Conner's going to get. And where does that analysis come from? It's confirmation bias driven. Fournette couldn't get in on the goal line last year. So we are going to reverse engineer the analysis to fade Leonard Fournette as hard as possible this year. James Conner, oh, oh, he was hurt last year. So we're going to ignore last year because not only was Conner hurt, Roethlisberger was hurt. So we'll just cross that year off like it didn't happen. The deterioration of the offensive line didn't happen. None of that happened. And we're just going to flip over and project James Conner based on what we saw in 2018. Yeah. On both sides of this ledger, the James Conner tout and the Leonard Fournette fade, they're both driven by this confirmation bias, which is maddening to me because I've never touted Leonard Fournette. I just happen to think that he's a value this year in all formats at his ADP. Sure. I'm the one that's looking at this rationally, and I'm having to fight against all of these irrational zombies soaked in confirmation bias that claim Connor is not only more talented, he's in a better situation than Fournette, and I'm not sure either one of those things are true. They're, they're not. I mean, I've, you know, I've tried to bang the drum for Leonard Fournette as hard as I can, and the one thing that we have continually talked about is that it cannot get worse for Leonard Fournette than it has been. He's had an atrocious O-line. He's had bad quarterback play. He's had an organization that he didn't necessarily you know, get along with at the time. They've had no receivers for the most part for a while in this offense. And it could not have, have gotten worse. And you look at James Conner. If Leonard Fournette played in Pittsburgh in 2018, he would have done the same or better. He would have smashed in that opportunity. You've seen James Conner in one of the best situations. You could argue 2018 was one, one of the greatest offenses we've seen in a long time in Pittsburgh. It was incredible. So you've never seen this for Leonard Fournette. He's never had this, this opportunity to play with a level of talent around him, run blocking efficiency, quarterback play at its peak, elite wide receivers on the outside, all these things. But the expectation is it's going to get better. And the opportunity is there and he is a pass catcher and I have not been worried about Chris Thompson we talked about this before Chris Thompson is to me is totally washed he's completely irrelevant I'm, I'm not worried about him I Chris Thompson is as washed as Ben Roethlisberger he's super washed and I don't know why this keeps coming up I don't understand it yeah go look at his yards created per touch if, if you think that he's still this dynamo with the ball in his hands but when we talk about Leonard Fournette, he is being faded. He is still young. This is a guy that is a very good athlete. And the touchdowns at the goal line, 
I'm not, I'm not buying into that necessarily because that, again, we've talked about this so much. It is one of the least predictable, hyper-variable you know, statistics there are. You look at Alvin Kamara. Where was he year to year? He had an incredible rise and an incredible fall. What sprung Derrick Henry all the way up to being you know, a top fantasy finisher this year? Well, he was fueled by 18 touchdowns, right? He doesn't catch the ball at all, but now he's on a one-year deal. So the expectation is that Leonard Fournette, no matter where he goes, if you're buying him, he has a career beyond this starting next year. Leonard Fournette will get signed somewhere, and he will be the lead back somewhere. Especially if he has a productive season. For sure. And I cannot say the same thing with confidence at all about James Conner. And that's one of the primary reasons why he's being faded and should be faded. But he's not being faded enough. They're trying to resuscitate him, Nate. We are getting out ahead of this. Minions, buzzards, we are giving you tomorrow's newspaper. Watch the James Conner resuscitation. They're going to stand him back up like a scarecrow this year and treat him like a surefire RB1 with, again, this is, this, this, this is out there. This is analysis I've read on respected fantasy sites. High-end RB1 upside. High, that's the part. Like, that's the RB1 upside based on opportunity alone, which we've discussed is a red flag in and of itself, the opportunity-driven analysis, and Nate is guilty of this on multiple occasions. Jesus Christ. Okay. Just go on. Please. It's one thing to say RB1. It's another thing on this opportunity house of cards. You're going to somehow climb up to high-end. That's at that point when it's high-end RB1. You lose me. You lose me in a big, big way. What about Antonio Brown? Because this is another player that is soon to be heavily hyped no matter where he lands, his ADP is going to pop. That's why many are trying to front-run Antonio Brown and trade for him now where those that have him aren't going to be letting him go No, because they know that he's going to pop when he signs. That's why they've been holding on to him the whole time. You can just pry Antonio Brown from the cold, dead hands of someone who's been holding on to him for the last year and a half. Through all this turmoil, right? You could just offer them a, a late second rounder next year. Yeah, sure. Uh, except <laughs> it's not the reality of it. Now, of course, I'm always super excited when I see these off-season Russell Wilson, Antonio Brown training clips. And for the people that don't know, this isn't the first time that this has happened. So please don't look at it like Antonio Brown isn't on a team. And he's training with Russell Wilson, and it's meant to be. This is not the first time these two players have gotten together and trained in the offseason. So let's start with that. Secondly, I do believe Antonio Brown has plenty left in the tank. Absolutely has plenty left in the tank. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt. It's not about the athleticism. It's not about the fast twitch. It's about the neurons firing at the right rate and with the brain chemistry. Yep aligning in his head so that we don't experience the behavioral issues that would get you kicked off the team like what happened in new england the the question beyond that that's that's question number one question number two to me is would antonio be okay with the idea that he may only see between in all honesty 70 to 110 targets depending on where he ended up he there is a scenario and i know some people will disagree 
there is a scenario where for a year, Seattle could make him the wide receiver one in that offense. If he went to Seattle, that he would be the most targeted wide receiver. It's absolutely possible. And in an offense where I believe DK and Tyler Lockett and these guys just want to win, they would be willing to concession opportunity to one of the greatest wide receivers we've ever seen. Russell Wilson is co-signing him, and you know Russell Wilson doesn't want any cancers in that locker room. But to what Matt said, if you can get beyond the head issues, and Antonio Brown is fine with not seeing the volume that he's seen throughout his career because this guy has seen no less than 154 targets in a season for the last six years that he played in Pittsburgh, if he's okay with getting 70% of that opportunity or less and playing with Russell Wilson, then it's a great fit. But if at any point the head issues are going to persist or he has an issue with his opportunity, then it's going to be a problem in the long run. And I think that's what people are arguing. But with that said, I would love to own Antonio Brown in the off chance that he goes to Seattle, but he's very boomer bust in that sense because it will be hard to predict. I feel bad for Tyler Lockett. I really do. If they sign him, Tyler Lockett is 27 years old. So he's not going to have an opportunity to be the number one in that offense during his prime. He'll be well past the age apex by the time Antonio Brown leaves Seattle. And at that point, DK Metcalf will be the anointed alpha. So he's going to miss his window. He had his window last season, experienced that gruesome leg injury that sent him to the hospital, was not the same after that. And now there's a possibility they sign Antonio Brown. In one game last season in New England against Miami, 33% snap share. He only ran 13 routes. How many targets Antonio Brown commanded? How many? Eight. 33% snap share, eight targets. That's a 24 target pace. He was on a 24 target pace. He commanded eight targets on 13 routes. Think about it. More than 50% of his routes resulted in a target. If he just commands a starter snap share, even the slot, say an 80% snap share, okay. He's going to end up being the target leader in Seattle. That's going to happen. Antonio Brown will have to serve some level of suspension in 2020. Is that definitive? I, I don't know. I've read that in a couple different places, but I don't want to. I, I don't want to put anything out there that I can't. The NFL is arbitrary with their suspensions, so it's all just speculation. I know. He could be suspended two games. He could be suspended ten games. We don't know. And when you say, "Oh well." The guidelines are that there have to be suspended at least eight games, sure. But we know how the NFL does things. The NFL will just reclassify it right? because they would like Antonio Brown to be in a Seattle uniform as of October. You can't know. You can't know what they're going to do. You never know. Ever since the Tyree Kill non-suspension, I threw my papers in the air. You cannot tell me how many games a player is going to be suspended because you think you know because you don't know. Antonio Brown is one of the best receivers that we have ever seen. And if we were ever given the opportunity to get a rehabilitated mentally, you know, a version of Antonio Brown on a field with Russell Wilson's hyper accuracy, I mean, you you would you could see one of the more electric, you know, lower volume years that you've ever seen. I mean, you think that Tyler Lockett and him have this incredible combination. And again, they've built that over time. But Antonio Brown, God, the idea that he goes to Seattle, he could totally step in as the number one receiver in that offense for a year or two years or whatever he is there for. And to your point, it makes Tyler Lockett a, a bit of a strange situation because I think no matter what, oh, 
Brutal. No matter what, DK Metcalf surpasses Tyler Lockett at some point. Brutal. Whether it was going to be this year or it was going to be next year, DK Metcalf will leapfrog Tyler Lockett in the food chain in this offense because that's the type of receiver that he is, and he's a great fit for Russ and what we're seeing on the field. But if Antonio Brown goes there, my God, it, it's gonna it's gonna destroy some some of the Lockett dreams. That's for sure. I totally agree. Lockett's gonna fall twenty slots the moment Antonio Brown signs, and Antonio Brown's gonna move up at least twenty slots the moment he signs. Yeah, it, I think it's a reality. And DK Metcalf will only be marginally affected because he's so much younger, and it's much more about the future alpha in seattle so we're not as concerned about it the tyler lockett's ranking and lifetime value projection is more heavily weighted toward this coming season which is why he's vulnerable yeah it so that's that's the concern with it but i think that when you look at it overall the opportunity that he would play with russ in this offense and again we the the one thing that hasn't come up yet is what team is best suited to deal with a player like Antonio Brown. What coach? Like, we know all these players love playing for Pete Carroll. And they have reconstructed this locker room to deal with these personalities that haven't worked out in the past. And many of them are gone. A lot of these guys have left the team via trade or release or whatever. And it's a new offense in Seattle. And it's a very different locker room. So again, we all know that Antonio Brown has been a cancer at the end of his time in Pittsburgh, the entire duration that he was with Oakland. The situation in New England was short. Um, But if we can get beyond that, then you still have one of the most talented wide receivers we've ever seen in what we suspect is still his the tail end of his prime because even at age 31, 32, you can look at guys like Marvin Harrison, these guys that are just absolutely elite transcendent players that produced highly at 33, at 34. You know, it, it's it's very possible that Antonio Brown in the right situation could do it. And this to me feels like that situation. It absolutely does. And his body type ages well. 5'10, 180, Marvin Harrison, play style, body type. That ages well, where if you're a precise route runner and you can maintain that fast twitch muscle fiber through your strength and conditioning, which we know that he pays a lot of attention to, he should be paying more attention to his children and his family, but he's obsessed with himself. So that's the result, is that he is still going to be a productive football player well into his 30s. And I have some Antonio Brown in Dynasty, and... I'm getting these offers, and they're just junk offers. And I am getting tired, so tired of junk offers in Dynasty. If I leave a Dynasty League, the reason is probably the junk offers. And if I unwind my Dynasty League footprint, it's because of the spam. I use my email account to organize my day. And when you send me a junk offer, it takes me out of my flow state. It disorganizes my day. And Google and Gmail have done a great job of rarely allowing real spam to make it into your inbox. We take it for granted now, but go to your spam folder. Ten years ago, all of that would have been in your inbox. You had to navigate that, and it would have been counterproductive. And it's a great blessing for productivity Around the world, the innovations of email filtering from the folks at Gmail. So I'm very appreciative. I mean, Google doesn't often get 
compliments. You're always just like Facebook, always trying to find ways to criticize the the big bad corporations. But they've done us a great service here. But I don't want to see your trade offers. I just don't fucking care because this offer spamming has reached new levels. And I'm offended when I see those on Twitter promoting this behavior. If you want to do a deal with me, then my assumption is that you've looked at my team and that you've analyzed my needs versus your needs, strengths versus weaknesses, and that you've created a deal that is going to be mutually beneficial. That's the legwork that needs to go into getting a deal done. But most people don't want to do that. Instead, they just send offers out, just send offers out arbitrarily to every member of the league. Not because they want to find common ground, not because they're looking for a win-win, they're probing for weaknesses. And you see that from the dynasty dorks, the dynasty nerds, I don't remember who it was, but I saw a recent tweet. (laughs) If you don't fail now, and again, it's a sign you're playing it safe. Keep sending those trade offers out. And I slammed my fist against my desk. Stop encouraging this behavior. Stop it. These people are the bane of my existence, and they're the reason why a lot of people leave Dynasty Leagues, because you enter these leagues, and weeks before the startup, you start to receive these offers. I'm in a startup, it's weeks away, and I'm already getting these junk offers, offering me a third rounder and a tenth rounder in a startup for my fourth and fifth rounder, right? The classic trade-up trap where I give up my fourth and fifth rounders, which are exceptionally valuable picks, to trade up one round. No, no, of course I'm not going to do that. But you see these guys, and it's similar versions of the same offer. I know they're sending them out to all 11 teams on a constant loop. There's this guy, the Milkman. I don't even know his fucking name. I don't care. Whoever the Milkman is should be ashamed of himself. (laughs) Okay. Get a life. Get a life. I'm turning off trade notifications and forcing you to actually email me personally and engage me and understand my dynasty build before you assault me with offers that violate my preferred team structure. If you knew anything about me, you would know that I never trade up. I always trade down. And because this podcast has become so popular, so many of you have just stopped trading up altogether, always looking to trade down, that All of these vultures that just circle these dynasty leagues looking for weakness from above are finding it much, much harder to exploit dynasty leaguers that are trading up because no one wants to trade up anymore because finally someone is saying it out loud that trading up is a sucker play. Now, I will certainly send unsolicited offers. There are certain occasions where I'm on the clock. I don't see any players in the player pool that interest me at a particular pick. And what I'll do is I'll send out time-bombed offers to multiple owners and say, listen, I'm sending some offers to a handful of teams. It is a fishing expedition, understood. I'm giving it an hour. The clock is eight hours. Slow draft. But I'm going to give it an hour. I'm going to time-bomb these offers. I'm going to send three or four out. Anyone that accepts, great. Anyone that doesn't accept, I'm not here for your counters and your trade talks. That's not productive. Take it or leave it, or I'm picking my player. So I'm not saying I've never 
sent out offers unsolicited. But in a specific case where I happen to be on the clock, not two weeks before the startup even launches, yes, I will do that, but they will be time-bombed and they will be targeted. These dirty offer spammers don't deserve a rejection notice. They don't deserve to know why you don't want to do their stupid trade. I've stopped rejecting these trades. If you send me an unsolicited offer, I just ghost you and let it automatically expire after how many days? Just rejecting it takes time. I have to go log in and I have to click the button. That's an imposition on me. That's what spam is. It's an imposition on everyone that has to process the information that they're reading and then take action on it. And I'm not taking action on it. I'm not even reading the offer. I'm not taking action on it. I'm immediately deleting it. And now that I've started doing that, I'm like, well, why do I even receive these altogether? So now I'm just unsubscribing to trade offers altogether. And if I happen to log in and I happen to see an offer pending, I'll take a look at it. Otherwise, I'm not allowing you to pollute my inbox with this fucking garbage. It's a nightmare to play in those leagues. And to your point, when you're in a rookie draft or a startup draft, when you get to the end of a tier, which is kind of what you're talking about, and your player's not there anymore, and you don't want somebody, then yeah, you throw out some offers before your hand is forced to make a pick. That's it. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. When I get an offer from someone on the clock, and it's fair, and it is clear that they've been paying attention to my team build, and it's structured in a way that builds on my philosophy for building a dynasty team, then okay, then I'm interested. And that happens sometimes, but it's not worth it. It's not worth to have the notifications on for that occasional well-conceived and structured offer because the scales are so skewed to the other side where it's almost always this junk spam probing for weakness. And who are these people? They have nothing better to do with their time. If you're the milkman, you have to look yourself in the mirror and say, this is what I do all day. I send out junk offers hoping that someone will accept. And does your wife know? Does your family know that this is how you spend your time? Because a lot of us are working from home now and you have to optimize your day. Right. To make sure that you're being productive if you're not in an office setting or a work site setting. It's not fun and it's not productive. Like it's not leisure time what you're doing because it's not fun. It's tedious. It sure as hell is not productive either. You're not getting anything done with your life. It's miserable. So it's depressing to even think about someone being that bored and miserable. So all those people, all those zombies, wake the fuck up and stop bothering your league mates with your garbage. And if you're bored with your Dynasty League, I have perfect advice for you. Go to realitysportsonline.com, enter the promo code UNDERWORLD. Because the beauty of Reality Sports Online is you have things to do throughout the season. You can decide who you're going to extend, Who's going to get transition tagged? Who's going to get franchise tagged? You have decision points throughout the offseason that allow you to work those general manager muscles. When we talk about the bored dynasty leaguer that annoys his league mates, that archetype doesn't exist in reality sports online. It only exists in boring dynasty leagues. And the beauty of reality sports online is it's not boring. Go there now, realitysportsonline.com. Use the promo code UNDERWORLD. Get 10% off. 
you can be interested in your dynasty league throughout the season without bothering your league mates. You're welcome. And you'll be a better dynasty leaguer because of it. These hyperactive owners, they end up over trading to a point that a lot of their teams end up being worse because of it. Yes. I've seen this over and over again, that you trade just to trade because you're bored and you have no life. I mean, nothing better to do. Really? 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 In this whole world of possible activities, this is what you're doing for hours? Click, 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 click. Time to send the offers. Click, 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 click. Click, 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 click. Click, 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 click. Okay. Fuck you. Get a life. You'll be more successful and you'll be happier. Your family will be happier. Anything other than sending out these junk offers and bothering your league mates. Anything else would be an improvement. Yeah, it's... Click, 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 click. Oh my God. Click, 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 click. Click, 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 click. You can see these people in their little caves and they're making the rest of us miserable. They're making Dynasty Leagues less fun. I don't know what to say. I, I'm not these people. You know who I'm talking about, the offer spammers. You know these guys. They're in your leagues. You could tell by their roster. The, after the startup draft, their roster was great. And three years later, their roster is barren. And it's not. It's full of trash. And these guys that make too many trades, I just did this on Patreon. I had a long conversation about this guy named Billy that I watched blow up his whole team. He took over an orphan team. It was a great team. And I said it was kind of like HGTV where these people go into a house and they, they're like, it was the other owner designed it. So they just gut the, the shit out of it and trade and trade and trade, get rid of all these players. So finally there's nothing. You flip yourself right out of contention. Exactly. And then you're toast immediately. So especially these people that offer spam, because there's no way every spammed offer that you're putting out there, you know, they're always trying to sell one guy, whatever player that is, they're shopping that one guy to 11 other owners. And you know that there is a difference in value from like an equity standpoint on each and every one of those 11 offers. So if you're unfortunate enough to get your offer accepted in the worst of the 11 deals, and you do that time and time and time and time again, then eventually you have this roster that's completely eroded with no equity on it and no players of desire and no draft picks and no way to be competitive. And your league mates hate you. You have this roster that's completely eroded with no equity on it and no players of desire and no draft picks and no way to be competitive. And your league mates hate you.
That's the show. That's the show. Uh, that's the show. Yes. Your league mates fucking hate you. And you know who you are. You listen to this show. We have hundreds of offer spammers just based on the math that listen to this show. And they know who the fuck they are because they're all miserable. It's a brutal world. Get help. Get help. I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you right now. You know who you are. You're feeling weird because it looks like I'm looking through you into your soul because I am. Get help. I don't know if there are any listeners of this show that do this, but we hope that they don't. Are you kidding? Hundreds. Hundreds. Well, when it's 7.30 in the morning, Matt. Is this the old studio or or the new place? This is the same house with nothing on the walls. Wow. Staged. Barren. Yeah, I'm going to sound super reverberant, so I'm going to have to try to stay like way into my mic on this episode. Otherwise, it's going to sound atrocious. Reverberant. Wow, man. Good word choice. So early this morning, you're you're already using big words. It's a good start. How do you feel about the, the show sheet? I, I put some stuff in there. There's like two things on there. It's fine. Antonio Brown. Yep, and James Conner. Offer spamming. Offer spamming. Okay. Yeah. I think it's going to be fine. Yeah, James Conner, man. People are forgetting about Jonathan Taylor all of a sudden because the, the draft is over. Well... Not in my rookie drafts or not. They haven't forgot about him one time. I don't own a share of Jonathan Taylor. I can't get him. I love Ryan's reply just a minute ago on Twitter. He's like, oh, now you're live. Or now you're going live or something. Or now the stream works. Yeah. Hey, Levitan putting the, uh, the old player profiler to good use here. Is he? Love it. I love how people at one time thought that like these spider charts were going to be a thing that people would give a shit about and could convey information in a way that made sense. Oh, look, it, when the blood is splattered this way, then this guy's athletic. But when the blood splattered this way, then he's not. It's like, okay, what the fuck does this even mean? Didn't take off. Didn't take. Did you see this? The uh, Washington Caucasians. The Caucasians. Incredibly appropriate. Did you see the tweet I, I sent? I went back in the, the waybackmachine.org. Yes. Which caches the internet. And I went back five years, and sure enough, there was no mention of the Washington mascot even five years ago. I'm the wokest motherfucker out here, man. Matt, I think that's what they call virtue signaling, but who am I to judge? That's what they said on social media. And you know what my response back was? What, what was your response back? That's what social media is! 90% of posts are virtue signaling. Here are the virtues of my muscular body. Here's how smart I am. All social media is is showing off how smart you are, how good looking you are, how clever you are, how funny you are. Shut the fuck up. I'm showing off how woke I am. I'm the wokest motherfucker out here. If you don't like virtue signaling, don't ever go on social media ever again. And let me go to your timeline and scroll down one or two posts to see the first virtue signal that you posted, hypocrite. I'd like my, my timeline to be the litmus test for searching for virtue signaling. It, it does not exist on there. You won't find it. I got none. You got no virtue signaling. It's a safe haven. I've done zero political posts ever. You are signaling your virtues. I think we're skewing what virtues are because one's a moral virtue which is very different from I'm a fantasy football analyst virtue. There's no morals in my fantasy football analysis. Oh, okay. So you want to talk about moral virtue signaling. Well, that's what virtue signaling is down to the truest definition, right? It's it's about moral expression 
and how it's being expressed. And so when you virtue signal, when you're calling someone out or you're validating something, when it's from a moral standpoint. Oh, I see. You've made that distinction. I don't make that distinction. I don't see any difference between I'm smart, I'm moral, I'm good looking. It's all virtue. Mm, not in 2020, bro. All right, so I'm going to send you this. <laughs> I'm just saying, here's the thing, right? My timeline on Twitter, at Fantasy underscore Mansion, is this absolutely incredible blend of insightful information and comedy and truth-telling about the industry. So it's one of the most valuable fantasy football Twitter accounts in existence. And to risk getting blocked by throwing a virtue signal insult at me is just irrational. You know, it, it's just stupid. Why would you do that? Clearly, my Twitter account is a privilege to follow. And that you would just light that privilege on fire over this is just moronic. That's where we're at, man. This is the game we're playing nowadays. It was going to say something about the 4th of July, but the last thing I wanted was somebody to say something about me putting a 4th of July post. No, you're streaming to YouTube after the video is over. Garth Brooks is really sensitive about having his shit not on YouTube. I'm cool with it on Facebook. I, I just don't want to even risk it. Are we even allowed to acknowledge it's the 4th of July, or do we have to pretend like that didn't happen either? What do you mean? I don't know. You tell me. Are you lashing out at Black Lives Matter? I'm not lashing <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great way to spin it. What I'm saying is, are we even allowed to acknowledge this without blowback? Fourth of July, man! <laughs> yeah, yeah, it used to be. We as a country escaped from the yoke of tyranny. I think what's going to happen eventually is similar to a hotel, so they don't have like a 13th floor on the elevator we're just this is just gonna be a day with no date i'm gonna be like oh it's just july the day after the third oh would you stop god bless you thank you just thank you just just thank you <laughs> just, i would cry but i don't want you to see me get emotional she was right oh 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 i just realized something we're live on facebook oh we're live on facebook hey facebook what's happening Yes. Facebook alert. So, Nate, this is a Facebook exclusive to kick off the show. Facebook exclusive. We are going to be breaking down a video. I've been watching the Garth Brooks documentary where Garth Brooks is interviewed and he kind of talks about his career. It's it's more like a, a retrospective controlled by the artist. You can tell that Garth Brooks is a control freak. He wants control and he wants to control the message. He's got a camera crew following him around his property. And even though it's clearly a controlled narrative, I was very interested in Garth Brooks because he was huge when I was a kid. He was on top of the charts when Nirvana and Michael Jackson and Metallica were releasing their seminal works. It was Garth Brooks. No matter what these other bands or icons did, they just they couldn't push Garth Brooks off the top of the charts. I remember it was a phenomenon. Like, Garth Brooks was a total phenomenon. There was talk that country was changing forever and that country would be pop. And that didn't happen. Right? That didn't happen. The rock, pop, country would all kind of merge together and Garth Brooks would be the, the messiah of this new movement. And then uh, it kind of ended with him. 
So he was really a moment in time artist and I love his songs. I have a whole country playlist that and it drives my wife crazy. Uh, but my daughter and I like the country playlist, and she's like, oh, the country playlist, yeah. And I'm like, oh, we're going to play the dance. Oh, the dance. You know, oh, rodeo. Do you know the song Rodeo? I don't know the song Rodeo. Well, I'm sure I know it by the song itself, but I'm not going to know any of the lyrics to a Garth Brooks song, admittedly. I think of rodeo as a little bit like MMA. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, it is. It's like a rodeo is like MMA in that after the event, you're exhausted, you're broken, you're scarred up and you feel like you'll never be able to do another event again and then a few days go by weeks go by months go by your body starts to heal and then all you can think about is that damn old rodeo down out down 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 it's a bronze in the blood to steers in the mud and they call the thing rodeo The urge returns, right? The thirst to get back into the octagon is very similar to the thirst to get back into the ring with the bull or the, the, the wild bronco. Don't you see it, though? Don't you see the parallels? I mean, uh, nobody else could draw that parallel. It's like a modern gladiator spectacle, and the gladiators are addicted to the, the endorphin rush of the fight or flight that you get when you're facing off against another human that wants to end your life or an animal, in the case of the rodeo, that wants to just as soon trample you. I can see it. No, it's, uh, it's, uh, I, I can't see it, but it's an incredible parallel that you've drawn here. It is true. It's true. It's true. The scars have almost healed. His eyes are cold and restless. His wounds have almost healed. She'd give half a Texas just to change the way you feel. Oh, just shiver down my spine, that rodeo. I was checking the charts, because I'm all about the scoreboard, right? And I'm like, oh, so how many number one hits did Garth Brooks have? Rodeo wasn't a hit. They didn't even make a video out of it. This is one of my favorite songs. It, it, it wasn't a hit. It wasn't released as a single. It wasn't a video. I'm like, what, what happened? And as it turns out, people are more interested in the ballads. Right, that's why his biggest song is, is The Dance. You know The Dance? Are you familiar with The Dance? Again, by, by the actual song itself, maybe. Okay. Looking back on the memory of... I, hey, I should also... The dance we share neath the stars above. For a moment, all the world was right. It's about, hey, life didn't go as I thought it would. And this marriage fell apart, but we had some moments, and I wouldn't change a thing. Our lives are better left in chance. I could have missed the pain, but I'd have had to miss the dance. I just want to point out the fact that when somebody doesn't know a song, and then somebody attempts to sing said song to them in attempt to give them recognition of the song. Did that work? No, that was even further off. I feel like I'm even more lost than I was when you first asked me. So no, I'm not closer. We're actually further away. What's interesting, and someone who is involved in statistics, 
The dance is about randomness. I believe Nassim Tlaib would appreciate the dance because basically the dance is about I'm good with the random rolls of the dice and I rolled the dice and I crapped out and my marriage fell apart and I didn't become the hero that many thought I could be. They thought I'd change the game. What he's saying is he prefers randomness. This is a statistical song. It's a song about stats. Hmm. That he would prefer the random chance than to go back and, with an invisible hand, manipulate the outcome. He could go back and, and marry someone else and choose a different career and it would likely work out better, but he had these moments that he never wants to let go of that were great along the way. And he's like, hey, I had fun and it was worth it even though I lost in this game of life. But randomness. It's a stats song. <laughs> you're, you're really trying. Right? I'm trying to help you relate. I'm like, what is Nate like? He likes UFC. He likes mixed martial arts. He likes stats. I'm pitching country music. I'm trying to indoctrinate you into country. I have one final shot at it. What if I told you that Garth Brooks likes to wear the black hat, even though he's just a big, doughy, nice guy, right? He's just a sweetheart who likes to control his message and is super image conscious and control freak. But he released a video, a music video, that was ahead of its time, way ahead of its time. You could trace back some of the, the strands of this Me Too movement back the release of this video by a country star. That was one of the things that made Garth Brooks so revolutionary is that typically it had been other genres that were pushing the culture forward and were edgy. Country music wasn't seen as edgy, and then Garth Brooks comes along and releases this video for the Thunder Rolls that was not only edgy, it got banned. Mm. Like I had forgotten about this until I was watching this anthology retrospective from Garth himself and, and talking about it on Netflix. And I was like, whoa, okay, this is interesting. I, I didn't remember that this actually got banned because it was such a graphic representation of domestic violence that networks became uncomfortable with it. Now, nowadays, way more than this is portrayed on television. I mean, have you seen the show The Shield, for Christ's sake? I've seen some episodes. It didn't It didn't catch, you know. But they couldn't do The Shield anymore. I mean, I think that was my, maybe the peak of what you could get away with in television you know, before the pendulum started to swing to the other end. And, okay, now, okay, there's certain things you can't say. There's certain things that we can't depict here, especially with the police and, and how they handle you know, those that are arrested. Sure. So that show's crazy, but over a 10-year span between The Shield and then before 10 years, you go back to this Thunder Rolls video, major props to Garth Brooks. He has the street cred for the rest of his life with anyone that's participating in a sort of social movement because he really did sacrifice. He became unpopular with a whole swath of, of his fan base. His video was pulled off the airwaves. And it was only later that it was appreciated, that it did win awards. But there was this tumultuous period where it was being pulled down and he was being criticized because it was just too raw. Would you like to take a look at this video? More than anything in the whole world. Now, we can't watch this on YouTube because it's not available on YouTube. Garth has pulled everything off of YouTube. He wants to make all of his videos exclusive to his 
multi-disc anthology that you would purchase for hundreds of dollars. I'm not sure how much it costs, but it's a lot. Garth doesn't want his music on these streaming services. You won't find it there. And the only legal way to get a, get a hold of this thing is, is to buy the box set. It's called The Entertainer. So I want to make sure that we're advertising on behalf of, of Garth Brooks. Go watch his show on Netflix and go buy The Entertainer. But there is a pirated copy, an underground copy, only for Facebook, because Facebook's cool with edgy stuff, sometimes too cool with stuff that's on the edge of morality, as we know. But we are in a position where we could actually play this without consequence and comment on it. But it's going to happen on Facebook. It's not happening on YouTube. So again, again, the YouTube audience has no idea what's happening right now. We haven't started streaming on YouTube because YouTube is too conservative. They say, oh, yo, Facebook's more right wing. In, in, in this particular case, Facebook is more liberal and YouTube is more conservative and tied in with corporate interests than even Facebook is. So thank you to Facebook for making this possible. So I'm going to go ahead and, and fire this video up and we can see the video that was banned in 1991 because it was just too edgy. Are you ready, Nate? Oh, oh, I'm ready, Matt. I'm ready. I don't know if I can make this happen. <sighs> With the longest lead-in to playing this video, OBS just died on me. You're going to blue balls the whole crowd. OBS just died on me. Literally, OBS just died on me. Thank God we're not live on YouTube right now. Well, it wouldn't matter. OBS just died on me. These technical difficulties are not taking place on Nate Liss's computer, for once. I think we're back. I, I lost the stream for the seven people on Facebook. We almost had ten. And now we're back, and because OBS died on me. I, we're asking OBS to do a lot. Hang in there, seven people. And I'm gonna play the video, you guys ready? Oh, we have to watch an ad. This isn't YouTube, we can't just skip the ad. This is a very hacked up way of watching this video. This is a super incredible moment right now. People don't even understand. Thirty in the morning, not a soul in sight. City's looking like a ghost town on a moonless summer night. Raindrops on the windshield, there's a storm moving in. He's heading back from somewhere. There's a, a woman in bed, and there's a man. Look at this guy. Yeah. Is this a porno? Look at this. I don't know, but. That's suit. Look at this. Look at this guy. Does that guy not look like the classic porno actor? He has the fake glasses with the the beard and the pseudo mullet, right? I mean, she's still naked laying in bed. That guy put a three-piece suit back on. Can you play electric instruments in the rain without getting electrocuted? Sure. Like, is this safe for Garth Brooks to be playing in the rain? Or is that fake rain? Sure. Well, I don't... Whether it's fake rain or not, I don't know how that works. It's still water. Unless it's fake water. In a thunder rolls. The thunder rolls. And the lightning strikes. Another love grows cold. On a sleepless night. As the storm goes on, we have the, the perpetrator, it looks like the guy, the, the male porn star, 
he's driving home, but he's thinking back to the the passionate right. escapade that he just enjoyed with his, I guess, what would you call that, a side chick, Nate? Is that a side chick that he has? Yeah, absolutely. That's what the cool kids say. She's That's what it is, a side chick? Window, or a mistress if you're old enough. This is a big band. This is like eight or nine guys that Garth has out in the rain here. Okay, I know you've got rhythm guitar and lead guitar. What are the other four guys playing guitars doing? How many guitars do you need? Is it because they want to be loud, like, to, to match the thunder? Maybe, like, one guitar guy gets sick in the middle of it. He just steps in. They have seven guitars! You're right about that! It's a circle of guitars. The thunder rolls and the lightning strikes. Another love grows cold on a sleepless night. As I think we should continue to only comment on the guitars and not about the sex scene and the throwing of the phone and the woman with the bruises on her face. Let's not talk about that. Let's just talk about the guitars and marvel at how Garth and his band were not electrocuted. It's trending that direction. I almost said executed. <laughs> electrocuted. Remember we did that whole segment on the electric chair? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You remember that from three years ago? Yeah. We did the whole segment on the electric chair. That was amazing. It's raining pretty bad when you have to use your briefcase to cover your head. I can't believe how hard it's raining. How do you do fake rain in television production? We've got to talk about this. I... I think you're confusing people. That's real water, right? How can it be real water? If it's real water, then none of those instruments can be plugged in. Well, they're probably not plugged in. They're playing false instruments. They're just layering the real song. They're just playing to a track. There's no mu They're not playing the song. We can't just talk about the guitars the entire time. This was an important video, a seminal moment in our culture acknowledging domestic violence in a way that hadn't been done before, and we're only talking about Garth Brooks' non-electrocution. I've said it many times. If you're going to shoot somebody with a revolver, do it when there's a thunderstorm going and a branch breaks your window so nobody knows that it happened. That's genius, right? Genius. I can't count on two hands how many times I've brought this up to my friends. What kind of revolver is that? That revolver that looks like a revolver? It's got the six-shooter. Yeah. It's got the, the mother-of-pearl handle with the, the chrome. When I think of pistol, like, that's what I think of. Like, that, they pulled out the most perfectly illustrated gun that you could ever think of out of that drawer. Before this video dropped, there was no acknowledgement in a lot of corners of society about domestic violence. Like, it, it wasn't reported. It wasn't talked about. And this put it out in front of people, so they had to start talking about it. And I got to tip my cowboy hat to Garth Brooks for doing that. That was a big deal. That, and not to take away from the point that you're making, but he employed at least three other guitarists that otherwise would have been out of work. <laughs> so good for Garth. Good for Garth. He's, he's keeping people working. Oh... I don't know why you have so many guitars. I don't know what they're playing, you know? Maybe it's a fuller sound. If you have four guys playing the same rhythm at the same time, the same chords, 
Oh, it's called overdubbing. They actually do do that. They call it overdubbing where they basically just have the same instrument on top of the same instrument to give it that fuller, richer sound. That's a thing they do in studios that they were replicating out there in the rain in the dark with no fans for no reason. With what you seem to claim is fake rain, which I can't get over because it's still water. The most iconic flipping of the, the bill of the cowboy hat was done by Brad Pitt in Legends of the Fall. Okay. But Garth does that too sometimes where they, they'll flip the brim of their cowboy hat and then when it's wet, the water will kind of just jump off the top of the brim. Right. That's a great move. I've never done that. I live to do that one day. Uh, it's a veteran move. One day I want to be out in the rain with a cowboy hat and I want to say, howdy, ma'am, and then I flip the cap and then the, the water kind of just sprays up a little bit. That's that's a stud move right there. And I'm sure Garth has done that many times and good for him. That's great. No, it looks like uh, he definitely looks like a consummate professional wearing that cowboy hat. It's a great video. He's doing a great job. Hey, listen, the interesting thing about that video is it kind of goes back to the dance and, and randomness. When you're creating art, you just don't know how the audience is going to respond. I actually talked about this in the backstage past, patreon.com forward slash podfather. We should probably stream on YouTube now. No, let's not. Let's not. As long as we're in any way tangentially talking about Garth Brooks, let's not give the YouTube audience any of this content because YouTube are assholes about this. So we're not going to even we're not even going to give them anything. We're only going to go live to YouTube when we start the show, just like we would for the podcast. Only Facebook is essentially getting the live outtakes. So Facebook and the seven people, Adam Cole and JP Segura, <laughs> And Pierre Filion and Sean Jameson. It's up to 12. It somehow got up to 12. Wow. Only they get access to the live outtakes. Wow. When you're getting a real-time shout-out from the Podfather. I mean, that's the whole audience. (laughs) Our Facebook audience has fewer members than Garth Brooks had guitarists in that Thunder Rolls video. (laughs) That's good. Ugh. If all of our Facebook fans learn to play guitar yeah. and provide us with the backing instrumentals in a video, we would have fewer guitarists than Garth Brooks had in the Thunder Rolls. I got to go back and reanalyze that video. I don't know that there weren't more. We got to go count them again. We should have counted them in real time. Yeah, yeah. I think it was five. I counted five guitarists. Why Were they defending the drummer? We were talking about the, the timing of a gun going off in some way. To time it with the the thunderclap. Sure. That reminds me of the movie Shawshank Redemption, where Andy Dufresne took the rock over his head and then with every thunderclap smashed the rock on top of a, a pipe. And by the way, just to debunk one aspect of the Shawshank Redemption, there's no fucking way that you can break through a sewer pipe with a rock, right? <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a fact. It's impossible. That would be impossible. Right, and I'm, I might be ruining Shawshank for some people, and I'm sorry, I love the movie, great movie, uh, but you can't break a sewer main pipe with a rock. It's fucking impossible. I would argue that you can't at least break a sewer main with a rock that you are capable of lifting on your own. That's right, yes, of course, you could drop a seven-ton rock, yeah, sure, to create a perfect hole that you could then crawl through? Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, it's not happening. That is one of the silliest aspects of any movie ever. 
but it was part of this larger movie that was so well done that you just kind of, oh, well, that doesn't make sense. Oh, forget it. He had to get out of the prison somehow. And I learned something yesterday about that movie because we had a fence guy come in and scout our, our property because we're putting up a fence. And we were talking about the Robert Frost poem, of course, because, you know, that's what I do. I, I chat up these guys and I'm like, hey, you know, good fences make good neighbors. And he's like, I need to stop you there. I said, uh, what, what do you mean? He's like, well, that, that's often misunderstood. He's like, well, that, that was a New England fence for New England farmland that he was talking about. And I was like, exactly. Just like the, the farm in Buxton, where there was a, a rock that didn't look like it belonged in a main hayfield that Andy Dufresne set out so Red would know where to go when he finally got parole. And he's like, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That rock wall. Robert Frost, when he talked about good fences making good neighbors, and by the way, Garth Brooks had an album called No Fences, so that wasn't in Maine, because all the farms have fences, according to Robert Frost, because they're the rock walls, and all of them have the rock walls because they were made when they cleared the farmland originally, and with the horses, and they, they moved all the rocks so they could till the soil, and those rocks became these walls around the properties. And the reason why Robert Frost said good fences make good neighbors is because every spring, the main farmers would go out together and rebuild the walls because through weathering, the rocks would fall and, and they would crumble. And then so the two neighbors would get together and together they would rebuild the wall. So the good fences implies that you would have more communication and teamwork with your neighbors. It doesn't mean wall yourself off from your neighbors and no communication with your neighbor makes for good neighbors. It's been wildly misunderstood, that Robert Frost poem. And yet I'm putting up a giant fence because I don't want to see my neighbors ever again. <laughs> it's good. It's the point of a fence. Keep your stuff in and keep their stuff out. I also believe that the Garth Brooks album that was a smash hit that stayed at number one for a record number of weeks. Even uh, Nirvana Nevermind couldn't push it off. Uh, the Metallica Black album couldn't dethrone it for very long. Michael Jackson couldn't dethrone it for very long. It was the album before that called No Fences that was a better album. And I think that's the album that has the dance on it. And what he said, which was interesting in this biopic series thing on Netflix was that that song, The Dance, which became his biggest hit ever. Remember how it goes? I, I told you how it goes. I could have missed the pain But I'd have had to miss The dance The Black Swan song. When he recorded it, he had the song because he knew the songwriter. He had met the songwriter in Nashville and said, if I ever get a record deal, I'm going to work with you, put it on one of my albums. I'm going to cut the song. That's how they say it. They say, I'm going to cut that song. That, that's the lingo. But then they had the song. And he said, you know what? I don't think it's country enough. And, and the bottom line is nobody fucking knows, man. Nobody knows. When Garth Brooks goes and produces that video, he doesn't know it's going to get banned. He doesn't know how the public's going to receive it. He's just doing art. And he almost didn't cut the dance ever at all. He was like, this isn't country enough. It's not country enough. And when people listen to the dance, they're like, this is a quintessential country song. It's a quintessential country ballad. But at the time, he didn't think it was country enough. He almost didn't produce it. One of the, the engineers he was working with said, listen, man, if you don't produce this, it'll be, it'll be your biggest mistake. 
And uh, Sheryl Crow sang a song, uh, my favorite mistake. Sheryl Crow, a blend of country and pop. She can thank Garth Brooks for part of her success. You never know. We talk about what tweets will go viral. You don't know. A tweet by Denny Carter recently went, went viral. He had no idea. He was just throwing that out there. That was a throwaway tweet. I guarantee he thought about that tweet for 20 seconds, less than a minute to craft and send that tweet. And he didn't think about it for a day or two until he goes back and sees, oh, wow, this has 10,000 retweets. You just, you never know. You just got to keep grinding at this. And then once in a while, you keep doing it enough, shit's going to hit. You just don't know what it's going to be. You have no idea how the public is going to consume your art. You got to get over it. You got to stop trying to just engineer the most clickable thing and just do the best work you can and let the chips fall. Are you there, Nate? Yeah, I don't know what you want me to add to it. It's a it's a great point. I think that for people that are content creators, I guess, on this subject, uh, if you're fortunate enough to have kind of created your own space and your own identity and then you can blend in that clickbaitiness, then that's great. But, uh, I mean, exactly to your point, I think you need to just kind of do your thing and see where it ends up. He almost didn't produce his biggest hit of all time, one of the biggest songs of all time, because he didn't think the public would like it. But it was so good, the song was so well-crafted, he just felt compelled to do it regardless and say, fuck it. And then at the end of the day, he became the signature crossover artist in the history of country music. So you become a revolutionary not by doing what you think will be popular, but by delivering to the world what you believe to be good. This is good work. This is good art. I'm going to put it out there, and we're going to see what happens. You can't create revolutionary art in a lab. It's impossible. That's one of the reasons why I'm not worried about AI. You can have all the focus groups and all the computer processes, and yet the best stuff oftentimes is at the bottom of the priority list. But the artist is putting it out there because they believe in it. And you can't quantify why they believe in it so much, but it makes its way out there, and that's the stuff that hits hardest. And a computer can never, ever, ever replicate that. So fuck your AI fears. They're unfounded. Ready to do a show? Ben ready. I'm ready to go. We can go live on YouTube now. We're ready. We're ready for you, YouTube. Let them know we've been live on Facebook for some time, giving them the best content we've ever done. We're live on YouTube, guys. Listen, listen, listen. I see some people in the chat who mentioned that we were live on Facebook. If you didn't make your way over there, you may have missed the single greatest moment in show history, about 25 minutes of it, and you missed it. I mean, flat out, you missed it. Nine people saw it. 16 on Facebook. 16. Wow. Almost double. The live outtakes were available only on Facebook this week, and you'll see why. When you go back and watch the replay on Facebook, you'll see why we were providing content that is banned on YouTube. That's that's true. You know, you know how Matt cares about monetizing his uh, YouTube views, so we couldn't do it. Couldn't do it here. And, 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 check the shirt. Check the shirt. Told you so. Oh! 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 Time to change the name. You gotta change the name. Ha, 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 ha. You gotta change the name. Oh, poor Danny. Danny went to a game with his dad, and he had that hat on with the old logo. 
that was racist, but he liked it because he had a sentimental attachment to that memory with his dad with the hat. So even though it's blatantly offensive to an entire group of people, no, we're not going to change it. And even though that alienated fans, no, we're not going to change it. And even though they would have generated millions of dollars in revenue by changing the aesthetic of the team and prompting all the existing fans, the entire fan base, to go out and, and buy new gear to be up to date with the current team name and team mascot. No, we're going to forego all of that. Forego fans. We're going to forego engagement. We're going to forego revenue. We're going to continue to alienate the public. Why? Because Danny had a hat on once that he remembered fondly. Danny has memories. And those memories are the most important thing. We're going to drive this business into the ground if we have to. That hat and that shirt that I wore with my dad is all I care about. <laughs> Fuck everybody. I'm not going to do it. Oh, you're doing it, Dan. Oh, you're doing it. It took a $100 million threat, but now we have hundreds of millions of dollars at stake. And at that point, you're just going to have to cry your fucking sentimental tears and get on with it. Dick. That's a nice shirt. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. It says a lot. There's a lot of meaning embedded in this shirt, and I love it. Well then, cross that off the list. Glad we got that done. You ready to, to go live? Yeah, I'm ready to go live. Are you, you have more? Are you ready? I'm just doing a show. I mean, again, the, the people on YouTube can now enjoy it. Welcome, YouTube. They're finally here. The people on Facebook have been with us for close to 40 minutes. They got a lot of extra show. Because they get access to banned content because Facebook allows you to do edgy shit, as we know. Sometimes for good, sometimes for evil. We do it for good. We, we're virtuous. That's right. Attempt to do so. So, yeah, listen, I'm going to do my best to try to keep the echo of this room, which is incredibly hollow behind me. Hey, congratulations on your new house. How's it going? Have you broke ground yet? Not in the new house yet. We're not. I got to repeat. There's a lot of... Do you have the blueprints yet? I have the blueprints. Oh, you got to show us the blueprints one of these days. We want to see the, we wanna see the square footage. It's, uh, it's a thousand square feet. Oh, it's a tiny house? You're going to be on an episode of Tiny House Nation where you move from 2,000 square feet to 400 square feet and then you have to quarantine and basically you realize, wait a second, I have to be in confined space with my family every single day, every single minute. This is not happening. You have a lot of Tiny House people that have realized they made a catastrophic mistake. We're going to have to put the toilet right in the master bedroom. <laughs> it's just going to have to go open <laughs> against the wall to make this work, but we're willing to concession. My daughter likes this Tiny House Nation show, and every time I walk by and she's watching it, I look up and I just go, idiots. <laughs> Give it six months living on top of one another and see how much you like it. They're bragging about it. Yeah, they're virtue signaling. They're bragging. Look at it. We don't need all that space. It's bad for the environment. Yeah, okay, yes, I understand that you're reducing your carbon footprint, and congratulations. Great virtue signal on this television show. Now go live your life and see why the average house is a hell of a lot bigger than your house. There's a reason why. You don't want to live in close proximity with a family member every single minute of every single hour 
of every single day. You're not wrong. I mean, you are 100% correct. And as a byproduct of uh, your accuracy and statement, I happen to have my own office and my own studio space. And the idea that I would go back to not having that, what I had done before in my previous house, because we didn't have the square footage, is I commandeered a dining room and made it a multi-purpose room. It was my studio, my office, and a dining room. And I fucking hated it. It was hell. Now I can actually be in a place where I'm not constantly interrupted and I can achieve a flow state much more easily. Good luck achieving a flow state in a tiny house, assholes. I mean, they brag about these tiny houses. It's just like, what are you bragging about? Is there a podcaster out there doing a show from a tiny house? That's what I want to know, like a fantasy football analyst. That would be impressive. Maybe if he's single. It's the most masochistic virtue signal I've ever seen. (laughs) It's probably the right word to throw in front of virtue signaling. It's just absurd. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. No, I mean, look, hey, it's, it's for some people I've... It would not work for me and and my family. Um, And admittedly, like anyone, we love our family, but close quarters all the time, every day, day after day, uh, that'd be a grind. I want to see the divorce rate post-tiny house. I want to see it. I want to see the divorce rate post-coronavirus. That would be a good start. Okay, so the timeline is, okay, we get our tiny house, and then we have the coronavirus, pandemic, quarantine, and then we have divorce. <laughs> yeah. The correlation is going to be very clear. I, I would guess 80% divorce rate. I, I was thinking 99. Okay, right. Yeah, it's probably higher. All right. We should start a show. I, this is what a, what a crazy what a crazy wave. Went from the shirt to somehow tiny house rant. We have to do a show at some point. We've been on these mics for an hour, 20 minutes, getting set up, breaking down a banned Garth Brooks video for Facebook only. Love you, Facebook. And now these other random tangents and non sequiturs. Zuckerberg loves you. All right. They thought I'd change the game. You're going to blue balls the whole crowd. What do you call that? A side chick, Nate? Is that a side chick that he has? Whether it's fake rain or not, I don't know how that works. It's still water. Unless it's fake water. (laughs) This was... An important video, a seminal moment in our culture, acknowledging domestic violence in a way that hadn't been done before, and we're only talking about Garth Brooks's non-electrocution. That, and not to take away from the point that you're making, but he employed at least three other guitarists that otherwise would have been out of work. That's a thing they do in studios, that they were replicating out there in the rain in the dark with no fans for no reason. You're gonna blue balls the whole crowd. They don't deserve to know why you don't want to do their stupid trade. I've said it many times. If you're going to shoot somebody with a revolver, do it when there's a thunderstorm going and a branch breaks your window so nobody knows that it happened. Our Facebook audience has fewer members than Garth Brooks had guitarists in that Thunder Rolls video. I just want to point out the fact that when somebody doesn't know a song and then somebody attempts to sing said song to them in attempt to give them recognition of the song, we're actually further away. It's been wildly misunderstood, that Robert Frost poem. And yet I'm putting up a giant fence because I don't want to see my neighbors ever again. Whether it's fake rain or not, I don't know how that works. It's still water. Unless it's fake water. Pry Antonio Brown 
from the cold, dead hands of someone who's been holding on to him for the last year and a half? Yeah, sure, uh, except you're going to blue balls the whole crowd. RB1 upside based on opportunity alone, which we've discussed is a red flag in and of itself, the opportunity-driven analysis, and Nate is guilty of this on multiple occasions. Whether it's fake rain or not, I don't know how that works. It's still water. Unless it's fake water. I, well, I didn't... Listen! I'm not allowing you to pollute my inbox with this fucking garbage. You're gonna blue balls the whole crowd. Click, 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 click. Click, 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 click. Time to send the offers. Fuck you. Whether it's fake rain or not, I don't know how that works. It's still water. Unless it's fake water. It's so absurd. And if anyone believed it, they're an idiot who can't do math. And if you took that idea seriously, then you have some something missing in, in the common sense uh, sort of wiring of your brain. Definitely looks like a consummate professional wearing that cowboy hat. Chris Thompson is as washed as Ben Roethlisberger. You're trying to derail one of the best mansion lifestyle hacks, hack segments. Yes, this is a, is a hack segment. That's what it is. Thank God we're not live on YouTube right now. The most iconic flipping of the, the bill of the cowboy hat was done by Brad Pitt in Legends of the Fall. Okay. And I know you're not mad at me. You're mad at Ryan. Admit it. Admit you're mad at Ryan. And when he reached to pull the sword from the sheath, and he went shing and pulled it out, it was a much smaller sword. Yeah, it was a dagger and a sword holder. Time to send the offers. Fuck you. Yeah, they keep slipping off. Can't figure out why. Yes, Nate. Yes, that's implied. Yes, the condom could slip off. Yes. You're going to blue balls the whole crowd. But he said, if you're going to have sex, make sure you wear rubber. No unwanted pregnancies. None. We're good. Thanks, Dad. Thanks. You did it, buddy. Great job. Well done. Oh, that was such a bad pick. Okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second. Well, I, I didn't think you looked past 2020. You, you actually looked past 2020 in Dynasty? It, whether it's fake rain or not, I don't know how that works. It's still water. Unless it's fake water. Rocky Balboa was not a real person. He was a movie character. I'm inspired by Rocky, but that doesn't mean I would bet on Rocky to actually win a boxing match because Rocky's not real! that Robert Frost poem. It's been wildly misunderstood, and yet I'm putting up a giant fence because I don't want to see my neighbors ever again.